Hello and welcome to the EDH RecCast. My name is Joey Schultz and I'm joined by my fantastic co-host. I'd like to introduce him. He doesn't have affinity for artifacts. He has affinity for art and facts. It's Dana Roach. Um, Joey, what does a turkey like to eat on Thanksgiving? Uh, ooh, that... That is an existential question. If ever I heard one, Dana, um, I don't know. <laughs> Nothing. They're already stuffed. I don't know what to do with myself about this. <laughs> like, am I wrong? Is that kind of a morbid dad joke? Like, it's also, it's, also it's a little bit dark. It gets a little bit dark. That's possible. Yeah. The, the <laughs> Matt's like, no. not here. We can we can go a little bit dark with him today. There you go. You had to give the double punch on the dad joke since yeah. Matt isn't here with us for this episode. He is having some big computer problems, but the spirit of the dad jokes remains with us on the show because Dana is making computer sure of it. Computer problems. Uh, I'm using air quotes. Computer problems. Now, we, we had a really good time at the summit in Salt Lake City. Matt had maybe too good of a time, um, but he should be back with us within six to eight months, depending on good behavior. So, our, you know, fingers crossed. Uh, I, the, the criminal justice system in this country is fickle and Matt is going to have to pay the price. But when Dana. you go on a, when you go on a rampage in a Denny's at 3 a.m., that's, that's what's going to happen. So he'll hopefully learn his lesson. And, you know, sometime next summer should be back um, just being a productive member of society along with the rest of us. So fingers crossed for you, Matt. Uh, hopefully things will work out OK. Wow. You know, I don't. I, <laughs> Why am I being incredulous about you? I shouldn't. I should just go with this bit. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Matt. Good yeah, right, luck right. to you, buddy. Yeah. Should just should just yes anded me all the way through that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's the rule of improv, right? Just like yep, exactly. yes and everything that Dana said is true, <laughs> listeners. Every single word of it. Anyway, I think this is supposed to be the EDH Recast. <laughs> Oh, man. EDHREC is the best deck building resource on the web for the commander format, compiling data from deck lists all over the internet to provide helpful recommendations for new commander decks. And here on the podcast, what we supposedly like to do is give all of that data a little more context. Um, Dana, what are we talking about in this week's episode? <laughs> We're talking about the biggest EDH resurgences, which, which is cards that are older ones especially, that have seen the biggest upswing in popularity over the past few years. And we'll talk about why why they did so yes yes indeed this is I, i'm really excited for this one this one's going to be a bit more numbers focused but there are some eye-catching numbers in this episode that i'm really excited to dig into to see what older cards have like had a significant upswing recently and like why did they become suddenly so much more popular like it is some pretty big swings in the numbers here and it's a it's been a long time coming for this episode we've had to cook the data to like actually mm. like get it i don't know it took a long time there's a lot of data to go through on this website y'all so this one there took is, a while to actually sure. figure out going back through time and and seeing all this stuff so anyway that's me being really excited about it but i i am putting the cart before the horse we've got some shout outs that we got to do before we can start this episode properly yeah first and foremost i'd like to thank chase also known as mana curve for their work editing the show you can find them on twitter for now <laughs> at mana curves oh we don't know the fate of twitter at the current time of recording <laughs> do we oh man that's we do not great. but you know what we do know we do know that you can support us at patreon.com slash edh retcast because that's a really great way to uh, send some love to, to the show it really does mean the absolute world to us to show us that support and if you're clicking like or subscribe uh if you're giving us a rating on any of your podcast feeds as well like any of that really is just wonderful but there are some awesome perks over at the patreon if you'd like to support us that way 
And one of those perks is our weekly shout out. So this episode is going out to Tommy Lamb. Tommy, thank you so, so much for your support. It just really does. I, it sounds so cliche for me to say that it means the world to us, but like it really does. This is the kind of stuff that like it does keep the lights on actually genuinely. So thank you so much for uh, giving us your your patronage. It I'm just being cheesy, Dana. When 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 Matt's not here, I just like I feel like I take on his his cheesy wholesome vibes, and that's just kind of like what's affecting me most. I know exactly what you mean, though. Like we we talked to a lot of listeners at the summit recently mm-hmm. who t- told us how much they enjoy listening to the show, and it's one of those things. The fact that people will support us um, with their dollars is a big deal. Like that does mean a lot that you're willing to do that. So thanks to everyone out there. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, let's. I'm going to try and get my head on straight here and let's get into this episode. We are talking about big EDH card resurgences. So, once again, these are cards that are especially older cards that just got a big, big increase in numbers over the past years. And I guess, kind of going into this, Dana, I am curious if you had any ideas about certain cards that maybe would have had a, a certain swing one way or the other. Like, were you expecting to see certain patterns, or I don't know, was, was there something that you had maybe hoped to see even when we approached this topic? Yeah. Um, so actually, I, I was kind of mentally coming at this from a different place when I suggested it. I was like, oh, I was wondering about cards that like people would just kind of now realize we're good. Because mm-hmm. um, that's the thing that happens, right? Like there's a cards that like that, that sit for a, a lot of years and all of a sudden the, the realization is that, oh, the, these actually play very well in Commander and someone else sees it plays well and eventually it turns into a thing. Sure. Um, so I was like thinking in terms of that more than what we wound up getting, which was cards that are, are pushed to the top by something new coming into the format almost exclusively. Yes, that is definitely the case. But there are some fun, interesting things to get into. I think a lot of the data that we saw that was most significant is individual commanders or individual themes definitely pushed up some individual cards. And we'll get into some of those examples as well. But there is at least one trend, maybe even two, that uh, we can get into later that is a lot more of a holistic, oh, the format, this is like evidence to me of how the format has been really dramatically shifted by a certain strategy. Um, but, But we'll save that for just a second. For now, let's get into some actual examples. Um, and specifically, the way that this data is broken down is by the two-year chunk. So as folks know, we uh, on EDHREC, we have the data broken down by like the past two years because the data from like, you know, five years ago or six years ago is not necessarily the same way that people build the decks anymore. So we want to try and keep mm-hmm. it fresh and current. So this is comparing the most recent two-year chunk between 2020 and 2022 against the data chunk, the uh, number of decks that cards were included in from the two-year chunk before that. So 2018 to 2020. That's a whole lot of numbers. How about I just actually get you guys an example? Let's start off with some elves. What do you say? Dana, do you know the cards Prowess of the Fair and Shaman of the Pack? Um, vaguely, I believe Prowess of the Fair makes tokens and Shaman of the Pack is a shaman who's involved in a... <laughs> of the pack? In a pack, yeah, I, I believe, yeah. <laughs> so that, that's, that's my best guess. Okay, well, yeah, well enough, fair enough, you, you have cracked it. But yeah, the most important thing to note here is that those are some pretty famous black-green elf cards. And that is one of the most dramatic shifts that we've definitely seen over the past, uh, you know, those two-year chunk comparisons. Because back in the 2018 to 2020 time period, Prowess of the Fair showed up in like 
228 decks, and Shaman of the Pack was like something like 500. Nowadays, though, in the most recent time that we draw the data, they're each showing up in over 10,000 decks and over 12,000 decks, respectively. So, um, yeah, black-green elves became a huge thing in the most recent years, like with Lathril, Blade of the Elves, and a whole bunch of other black-green elf strategies. That has been a huge resurgence for some of these older cards. We not only got some some black-green elf commanders, in the case of Lathro, we got a, a commander that's the second most popular commander in the last two years, ah. just overall. Mm -hmm. So so it wasn't just like we got new ones, we got one that's phenomenally popular. Because prior to the last two years, it was basically Reese exiled if you wanted to play Black Green Elves for commanders. I guess technically Glissa the Traitor was an elf in, in those colors, but there weren't a ton of options. There was a couple of creatures that happened to be accidental elves, but like for ones that cared about elves, it was Reese who wasn't particularly good. Um, that's not the case anymore. Like Lathril is genuinely a really strong commander. Abomination of Lanoir is generally a very strong commander. So oh, like yeah. we, we, we got ones that that filled a niche that was pretty empty previously. And not only did they fill it, they filled it in a very strong way. Now, in fairness, Justice for Nath of the Guilt Leaf, that was an older black-green commander that That's made true. elves. Yeah. But it was more of a discard deck than an elf deck. So, like, you know, yeah. Justice for Nath, but also he wasn't pulling up the numbers like the most recent stuff has been pulling up the numbers. So that is one of the most dramatic shifts that we've seen for sure. Yeah, it, there was a couple. I, I believe Gerard Golgari Lishward was also an elf. So, like, oh. <laughs> if you really wanted to do it, you could do it. I mean, there was probably, and there's probably more that we just aren't thinking of right now um, that aren't worth digging into because it's just a semantical argument. Because Lathril and Abomination of Lanoir genuinely care about elves and are really actually very good elf commanders. So, that makes people much more likely to have built those kind of decks for sure. Mm -hmm. Sometimes all it takes is one or two good commanders to put a whole strategy onto the map. All right, what else we got? So the next big one here we want to talk about is the card Erdwall Illuminator. Um, for those that don't remember, and, and I didn't, um, <laughs> Erdwall Illuminator is a, is a two-mana, one-three flying spirit. But the important thing here is whenever you investigate for the first time each turn, investigate an additional time. So investigation was a kind of a big mechanic in that second Innistrad pair of sets, I guess it was. <laughs> um, but nothing in Commander Prickery cared about that. Until we got Eloise as a commander, the first commander that really cared about clues. So we went from that card being in 147 decks back in 2018 to 2020 to being in 5,500 decks <laughs> in 2020 to 2022. That's a 3,700% increase in <laughs> that card's usage in commander decks. And it's also worth noting, it's not entirely just Eloise that, that spurned that. We also got all of those Stranger Thing decks, multiple ones which were blue. Yeah. And many of them cared about things like investigation. So in this in, in this one window, we got the first commander that cared about clues and then multiple other ones that were very popular that also cared about clues. Oh, man. See, this is like, yeah, I mean, I know it's just this one card that was like kind of nothing. And now it's mostly like relegated just to this one specific thing. But like. The artifact tokens have been mm -hmm. like just a lot like I don't know. I, I remember a lot of people being a little lukewarm on Academy Manufacture when they first saw that card. But Dana, I think that Academy Manufacture really fits the bill for what you were describing earlier, where like once you see it in a game, then you're kind of like, oh, wait, that card's actually kind of ridiculously amazing, isn't it? And like that as a strategy for all these artifact tokeny things. Um, yeah, th this card is kind of a testament to how much fun those have become over the past couple of years. Yeah, absolutely. And just like the, the sheer number is, is still astounds me. Like 
3,700% increase is insane. Yeah, um, so yeah, that just shows the power of the specific commanders, right? When they print a commander that cares about a really specific mechanic, that's going to just pull up all those other boats along with it. That rising tide raises all boats, and mm-hmm. the the rising tide is absolutely the power of a new commander. Well, I'll do you another one here. Uh, the card Chatterfang was released <laughs> just within a, a short time ago, and Chatterfang also extraordinarily popular uh, Golgari deck. The Squirrel Commander, super fun. And um, wouldn't you know it, that affected the popularity of some other cards that care about squirrels or that make squirrel tokens. So Chatter of the Squirrel is a fun card uh, that used to only appear in 186 decks. And now it appears in nearly 6,000 for a percentage increase of about 3,100. Or Acorn Harvest used to appear in a rough 150 decks, and now it's showing up in nearly 3,700 decks for a 2,200% increase. So Chatterfang also moving up some of those silly cards but i mean now they have the perfect home uh for the winter to stock up <laughs> dad joke attempt number number bad yeah. <laughs> from joey here but yeah no those these cards do affect little things but it's a pretty fun upswing yeah and again i think that the thing to note here is these are all commanders that are kind of doing a thing really well for the very first time yeah um you know that's not to say that like Hey, Grave Crawler is a popular card, and every time a new zombie commander comes out, I guarantee there's a there's an uptick in how many decks are running Grave Crawler, for example. Because it's just a fantastic card in almost every way for zombie tribal decks. It just does all of the things zombies want to do. But the reality is, there's a whole bunch of commanders that already exist that are already running Grave Crawler. <laughs> um, yep, that's not the case with, for the most part, with with you know black green elves. That wasn't the case with the clues. That wasn't the case with squirrels. Like those were just cards that weren't seeing any play anywhere because nothing demanded them, and something then suddenly demanded them. I think that this is a great example for us to talk about the card Pitiless Plunderer. Actually, so Pitiless Plunderer is the uh, the black pirate that makes uh, treasure tokens when your stuff dies. Mm-hmm. And that is a famous combo card with Chatterfang. And that is certainly a card whose popularity was probably influenced a decent chunk by Chatterfang, but not to this extent, because Pitiless Plunderer was already also very popular in other decks too, like Taysa Karlov, for instance. So some of those cards were already well-established, and we don't see as dramatic of an uptick for them because they weren't obscure beforehand. And these commanders really put some of these even smaller cards on the map, and they found a perfect home for them. Whereas some cards like Pitiless Plunderer, everyone already knew that that one was a pretty bonkers card before (laughs) this card came around to make it even better. The obscurity is going to be a factor here in this next one, too. Um, Aishin Two Heavens as One as a commander we got in the most recent Kamigawa set. It's very aggressively costed Mardu colors, but just one of each for a 3-4, so that's pretty easy to cast for a three-color commander. Um, and if a creature attacking causes a triggered ability of a permanent you control to trigger, that ability triggers an additional time. So people were using that kind of with Exalted or, or, or basically any kind of attack trigger. Mm. But the card that really popped up here is Fervent Charge. And Fervent <laughs> Charge is a card from way back in Apocalypse. It's an enchantment. Whenever a creature you control attacks, it gets plus two, plus two until end of turn, which is triggering twice. So whenever a creature you control attacks in this deck, it's getting plus four, plus four, which is very significant in Mardu colors that don't tend to have access to the combat trigger buffs that green has. 
So again, this is a card that just wasn't seeing play. It's, you know, 20 years old, didn't really have any deck that was demanding it. And not only did it suddenly get a deck that demanded it, it's really good in that deck. <laughs> that is a 2,500% increase for Fervent Charge. Um, I got, might be a little bit of a, a misnomer on that card name there uh, because that, it's, it's Rise wasn't Fervent. It took a little while before that card finally caught on. But, you know, I'm glad that it finally, it finally did. It finally got its proper charge. Yeah, right. Yeah. And, and this was a card that I, I actually, you know, years ago ran in my Edgar Markov deck. Um, solid there, but like it's genuinely a win condition very much in Ice Index. Oh, very, very much. Um, then moving on from there, this one is an interesting thing here. I bet that listeners will be able to put it together about what commander is responsible before we <laughs> before we actually say the commander's name. But a whole group of cards saw a significant uptick in the most recent two years, specifically the cards Giga Drowse, Trait Doctoring, and Energy Tap, which are all blue cards that can target your own stuff, um, specifically any type of permanent that you have. Uh, they all saw increases up in like the 2,000%-ish range, going from like 150 or 200 decks to suddenly having like, they're showing up in 4,000 decks. And... The reason why is definitely Orvar. Orvar, the thing that copies all of your stuff whenever you target it, your stuff with spells. Right. Um, yeah, all of these are going to put in a whole bunch of work for that deck, making tons upon tons of copies, making copies of your lands, making copies of your caged suns so that you can make more copies of your caged suns so that you can make more copies of your lands and probably do a whole bunch of infinite stuff going on there as well. Commander's really busted and it put a whole, whole bunch of just small almost nothing burger kind of blue instant suddenly be like just really really just kind of the most dangerous cards that you could see in that deck it, it felt a lot like what we saw back when feather the redeemed was first released as a commander very where a bunch of these very obscure efficient cards that saw no play because no deck wanted that effect suddenly got really really good in that feather deck and orvar very much in the same thing precisely yeah very very exactly that uh yeah again one commander just making some waves literally waves in this case because it's a blue card dad joke attempt number two from joey there did that one succeed better i don't know matt will have to tell me when he gets back let's move on and not acknowledge it <laughs> so the next category here we're going to talk about what is called hondans <laughs> <laughs> That is the enchantment um, shrine subtype we got in the first Kamigawa set that, that we then revisited in the second Kamigawa set. Um, and, and those did see some play over the years. I, I, I've definitely seen Honden of Seeing Winds in particular show up in decks as just a kind of five mana Frexian Arena in blue that doesn't deal you damage. Mm. Um, so yeah, like those did see some play, but <laughs> once we actually got number one more Hondens and number two, commanders that specifically cared about those hondans mm -hmm. we saw giant increases in how, in, in how much those were were played maybe not in the three thousand percent range but like definitely the the lowest one increased almost 700 percent all the way up to in the mid 850 percent increase in how much those hondans were played in decks oh yeah like hondan of infinite rage the red one was previously showing up in 1297 decks and now it's showing up in 12 
5,287 <laughs> decks, and it's pretty similar numbers for all the rest of them. So yeah, Sanctum of All and a bunch of those other shrines that we got, and then also the popularity of Go Shintai. Um, and yeah, like these, these definitely did have a niche home at first, but now they have a big, big home, and these are a, a whole strategy unto themselves. And so yeah, en enjoy the, the shrine strategy, everybody. Enjoy the hauntings, right. because that is a big, big mover that we saw over the past couple uh past couple of years those used to be obscure and now i'd almost go as far as to say that people are a little sick of them i i don't know maybe like <laughs> yeah i mean it feels a little bit like the gate strategy where like people wanted that thing for a long time when they finally got it then then it maybe it ceased to be the kind of cool weird thing that they that they were into doing because it was obscure sure 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 sure. yeah honestly i feel like there are a lot of strategies that could kind of fit into exactly that mold where like the reason that we like them is because they were dealt with a very light touch like yes. we've said before that we are so sad that there's not an energy commander yet but energy is a very very abusable resource and Sure. I bet that's why they've been like a little reticent to actually give us an energy commander, because if they do it a little bit too overtly, then that could really muck things up. And uh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that, that is interesting. I, I don't think people are like sick of Hondans in the way that they were like ever sick of Golos, for example. But like sure. the, the Hondans are certainly a very fun thing to to see. And I'm glad that they finally got their deal. That's how I feel. Ultimately, I'm glad that they've got their home now. Yeah, yeah I, I agree. Because like if, if you don't want to do it, you can just not do it. But there's a lot of people that wanted this kind of deck. And now they have one that, that plays where they want it to play. So that's that's I think that's kind of. A, a, a good even if there's maybe some downside for sure but mm. um that's i'm glad that folks got the deck they wanted to build for sure and i'm also really interested in the way that like the honden strategy specifically that used to at least to my knowledge uh it used to be a lot more popular for that five color sise that could tutor up legendary things and the shrines are legendary so you could find a bunch of them with sise yes. but once the actual proper five color go shintai commander came out i feel like a lot of the haunted strategy naturally morphed over into that new home and that left yeah. sise with a different type of thing to do so she became a lot more general legendary stuff but also a lot of players started switching from hondans to backgrounds in sise decks too because those are also legendary and would modify your commander and it's funny to see how some of these strategies strategies have rippling effects out on different commander strategies like that and finding new homes means there's an empty shell and this commander has to find a, a new thing to fill that shell too and that's also a fun um, domino effect that we get to see in the data yeah absolutely the, the gravitational shift from one of these affects the the other bodies nearby for sure it's super cool to see no dana gravitational shift is a blue enchantment that gives flying uh, creatures right. plus two plus oh. yeah. I think we just died to one actually on this, our stream on twitch.tv <laughs> just the other night. Yes, this is accurate. We absolutely did, um, which is par for the course, really. All right. Yeah. So those are some individual examples that definitely stand out. But there's actually one much bigger trend that I think we're going to save for part two. And Dana, I, I really hope that folks like... I hope folks like it because this one is a thing that we've been talking about for, for a while, but it's nice to see some actual numbers for it. So I'm going to leave you all in suspense because right now we've got to challenge some stats because there's a lot of data on EDHREC, but, you know, we want to bring the human element. We don't always agree with it. Sometimes we've got to challenge those statistics. So let's take a quick break and come back with some challenges. So the first card out of the challenge this week is Inundate from way back in the Lorwyn block. It is a sorcery for three and three blue, six mana total. It's got a very simple bit of text on it. 
return all non-blue creatures to their owner's hands. <laughs> um, Inundate is currently in just 2,600 decks on EDH Rec. Um, it's not a Cyclonic Rift, but that's a really, really powerful card if you are playing particularly a mono-blue deck, but there's probably some, some two-color decks that are in blue where all of your creatures are blue, so it still dodges it. But the ability to bounce everything or at least most things, while not touching your own stuff, is really, really powerful. Inundate's won me a ton of games over the years in my mono blue deck, and I also ran it for a long time in my Sphinx deck, because that's a good example of, of a deck where it's two colors, but every Sphinx is blue. Uh. It's a really, really good card. Sorcery Speed isn't ideal. It's still backbreaking in plenty of situations. You're just always going to hit stuff, and it's never going to hit your stuff. It should see more than more play than just being in 2600 decks. And I think this is one of those cards that, that's a victim of just not having a reprint. I think people just don't know it's out there. So mm. if you're playing mono blue, take a look at Inundate. Very, very nice. Very, very scary. Um, Dana, stop getting rid of all my creatures. I don't like that. If you didn't want them to get bounced to your hand, you shouldn't have cast them in the first place. <laughs> Wow. Oh, what a that was a power move that was right there. All right, I'll move right. on. <laughs> exactly. I'll move on to our listener submitted challenge for this week, which comes to us from listener Gabriel GS in our Discord, who has a very spicy pick for the commander Kadira, caller of the small, which is a fantastic Selesnia commander that looks like just a it's only doing a little bit of stuff here, uh, but it's actually like really, really kicking once you can actually like get some momentum behind it. This commander doubles your stuff so you know it's good kadira caller of the small is a 3-3 with trample and whenever it deals combat damage to a player for each token you control you create a 1-1 white rabbit creature token which can be modified with amazing effects like divine visitation and if you've got a cathars crusade holy crap this gets absolutely out of this world but specifically the card that gabriel wanted to challenge was the card nakatl war pride which does not show up on the page for kadira at all which is ridiculous because nakatl war pride is so dang good with kadira's effect nakatl war pride is a six mana green creature originally from future sight it must be blocked by exactly one creature if able but most importantly whenever nakatl war pride attacks you put x tokens into play tapped and attacking that are copies of the war pride where x is the number of creatures the defending player controls and then those tokens go away at the end of turn you may know this card from certain decks like Wolfgar of Icewind Dale, or it does a whole bunch of work in Miriweather Light Duelist as well, because you can double those triggers and make it difficult for your opponents to attack. But the important synergy here that Gabriel is pointing out with Kadira is that when Kadira hits an opponent and you have all of these amazing tokens with your Nakatl Warpride, Kadira is going to make a bunch of bunnies for you, and the bunnies will stick around. Those rabbit tokens will stay. So this is a very, very easy way to not only ruin an, uh, an enemy token players day by forcing them to do difficult blocks against your Nakata war pride but also just get a bunch of extra stuff from it too kadira is a really really cool commander just makes so many bodies and this is also a card that's going to kick that selesnia token strategy into an even higher gear matt again i know you're not with us but i hope that you're proud buddy i hope you're proud that we're still doing the selesnia stuff for you on the podcast even when you're not with us what what a uh, Matt card that is too absolutely, <laughs> and, and it, as with Inundate, I think this is, this is this is also a card that's a victim of just not having a reprint. It's not super expensive or anything, but I would 
wager there's a lot of folks that just don't know it exists because it hasn't been printed in like 15-ish years or so. Sure. Um, and it was in a, a relatively obscure set. So I, I think this is a card that there's a lot of decks that would love to have it and a lot of folks that just don't know it even is a card that was printed. Mm-hmm. Makes a whole lot of sense to me. So so maybe we'll get something new down the road, Joey, and we can talk about how Nakata Warpart had a 2,000% increase once they... Uh, <laughs> there we go. Yeah, I think this totally does qualify as one of those cards that like it seems a little bit like, uh, you know, it's an older card that you're like, eh, I'm not sure. And then you see it in a game and you're like, wait, what does that card do? This totally qualifies as one of them. I would love to see the numbers on the Cattle War Pride jump up just across the board. Yes. It's a really, really cool card. So that, I think, segues us back into our show here in part two. Um, we talked about some individual examples, but let's go a little bit broader. Let's try and zoom out. These are increases that we noticed that don't necessarily have just one commander as the reason why these increases would have occurred. Um, Dana, how about, I, I want to jump to the big one. Is that okay with you? I want to jump to the big one. You, <laughs> is that all right? Absolutely. Okay. Because this is a, a, a drum that we've been, we've been beating for a while. This is a thing that we've been talking about for a while. It's a thing that the community has discussed, but now we've got some actual numbers to discuss. Um, specifically, there are a lot of cards that care about artifacts, such as artifacts dying, or you can tap them to deal damage or using artifacts in a way that, uh, it's just going to be really good. So like Marionette Master, Reckless Fireweaver, cards that deal damage to your opponents when your artifacts either enter or leave. Gear Upper Aether Grid, which can let you tap artifacts to deal damage. Disciple of the Vault also deals damage when your artifacts go away. These cards have all seen minimum of a 1,000% increase comparing the most recent two years to the previous two years. Like, <laughs> yeah. Marionette Master used to show up in maybe 2,900 decks, and now it shows up in 34,484. Flipping, that's, that is wild. Reckless Fireweaver used to show up in, like, 2100 decks and now it's showing up in 33,129 decks that is a percentage increase of 1400 percent and dana what possibly could have driven these cards that care about artifacts so much to suddenly get such a big upswing in popularity over the most recent years in edh there is only one thing to blame for this problem and it's the same thing we can blame for every problem mutate <laughs> definitely been, no sorry uh sorry that's just a knee-jerk reaction just was going on instinct there for a second treasured i'm sorry treasure is what has caused this increase and hey and these cards use for sure these are all things that care about you're having multiple artifacts either tap or sacrifice and the fact that we've had just a gazillion different treasure cards not just treasure cards Things that do very strong things with treasure in the last couple of years has absolutely increased their, their use. Yes. And and we really can't point to any single commander that cares about treasure. Like Prosper is certainly very, very popular, but Prosper alone is not responsible for all of this. You know, there right. are a lot of treasure commanders out there. This is a general oeuvre. This is a general move on the behalf of the entire EDH format that we have started to care a whole lot more about these little tiny pieces of artifacts that give us some temporary mana. And these are some big swings for a whole genre like this, that the, the shift in making a bunch of treasure stuff put a bunch of these cards onto the map and created a whole archetype now that is just just huge, just enormous to deal with. So this has been an especially fascinating thing to see. And I'm so glad that we can put numbers to it now that we can actually like point to like, yeah, look how how much treasure has affected the popularity of some of these older cards. Yes. Like and Marionette Master. Ah, what a brilliant way to win a game if you've got a bunch of these things to sacrifice. So like. Kudos to you, Treasure. 
I guess it, to, to be complete about this data set too, we should also note, in addition to having gotten a, a gazillion treasure producers in the last few years, We've also just gotten a bunch of things that mechanically synergize with this, whether it's mm. the, the clue tokens we mentioned. There's some overlap between clue tokens and food tokens here as well. The blood tokens from the Innistrad set. Basically, we've gotten a bunch of things that make small artifact tokens that allow you to do that in mass quantities. The power stone tokens we just got from the um, most recent Brothers War set and, and those commander decks. Yeah. Um, even things like, th like Thopters we've seen a lot of in recent years. So... That's just as a broad strategy, things that care about having um, a large amount of small artifacts out there. That also probably increases these numbers, although not nearly as much as just treasures in general. Yeah. And this is the thing that we've discussed at length in previous episodes. <laughs> I feel like treasure probably is one of those things that everyone is actually sick of in the way that they were sick of Golos a little bit. Um, sure. But that's feedback that Watsi has definitely heard loud and clear over the past couple of years. Very much so. Yes. Yes. But, definitely. you know, it's nice to put more like uh, when we were looking over like, huh, what are some old cards that have seen a big resurgence in recent years? We could not avoid this. Like this was just sticking out yes. from the page. How obvious this was one of the most. Yeah. Like this, of the shifts that happened, like Hondans are one thing and like, oh, a whole bunch of those Hondans got more popular. But like this is a like an across the board kind of sweep that is way, way, way noteworthy. So, so now that we've gotten through all of these things, I guess, so now we're going to get into a couple of the things I was maybe expecting to see more of here, mm. um, which is cards that just generally get better as people kind of realize they're out there and realize commanders interact with them more generally have popped up. And so the, the, the prime example here is Swarm Yard, I, I would say. It's a it's an old land from the Time Spiral block, and it lets you tap it to regenerate a couple creature types, insects, spiders, things of that nature. But in the last couple of years, we've gotten commanders that care about insects. We care about rats, care about spiders, care about squirrels. So you have this one card that is suddenly just decent in a bunch of different decks. So rather than have like one specific deck where it's an absolute bomb and shows up in every, every version of that deck, you have a bunch of decks where it's pretty good. And that wasn't really a case before when we didn't have yeah, a commander that cared about insects or rats or spiders or squirrels. Yeah, it's so interesting because like one of the most popular commanders playing this card is Maronar, which is a very famous rat colony deck at this point, I believe. And these cards have existed for a very, very long time. But yeah, Swarm Yard was only appearing in 1,500 decks beforehand, and now it's showing up in 18,000 <laughs> decks. Um, and Maronar is a place where it's showing up in like 68%-ish of Maronar decks, which is a really hard thing to... Maronar, Maronar. That's a very difficult name to say. <laughs> Bear with me, everybody. Um, but like, yeah, those pieces were there the whole time, and it's only in recent years that like that has actually like become like the place, has become the thing for it. But I think that it probably was a big collection of insects insect themed decks having a more of a resurgence and squirrels also kind of like putting this onto the map maybe some maybe chatterfang kind of like got people to notice this card and then that also put it on the map for the other commanders i mean it seems really good if your commander's a changeling too i mean we mentioned orvar before and it's like hey this technically counts as a squirrel so like right yeah as change maybe that's another thing as well like the popularity of changeling stuff as we've gotten more of those over the years has also made this card get a little bit more of the spotlight as well so a lot of stuff a lot of movement to make this card show up finally in 18,000 decks total. Yeah, uh, just just it's one of those cards that like I don't know if I ever saw anybody play it in their deck for years and then all <laughs> of a sudden the last the last year or two I've seen it, you know, half a dozen times in in, in always in different decks too. Mm -hmm. So 
I, I was kind of expecting to see more of these kind of things. In parks, I just wasn't considering the ramifications of of the the previous things we talked about of you know how how impactful something like lateral would be. Um, but there, there's a, been a few of these um, that did show up. The, the other the other kind of group of these small cards are things that that got very popular due to something that made a combo with them. Oh so yeah. They were just kind of game-winning cards, and the most obvious one here is Chain of Smog. <laughs> oh, man. If y'all want to see the impact of the Magecraft ability with that Professor Onyx especially, um, yeah, Chain of Smog and Professor Onyx is a famous combo where you repeatedly target yourself, copy the spell over and over again, drain your enemies. Chain of Smog prior to that was in 311 decks total. And as of today, it's in 11,450 <laughs> yeah. decks. That is a 3,500% increase in the popularity of this card just because of the amazing Professor Onyx combo or Witherbloom, uh, Witherbloom Apprentice is, I think, the other one that can also do a bunch of stuff with it. Like, yeah, a, a simple combo piece will... Boom! Just totally rocket that stuff up. Brain Freeze is another worth noting. It used to show up in 2,200 decks, and now it's showing up in nearly 30,000. Brain Freeze is a storm card that can mill target player for three cards. And when Underworld Breach came out, which lets you escape spells from your graveyard, and you realized, oh, you can just Brain Freeze yourself over and over and over and over and over again with the Underworld Breach effect. Huh, that seems pretty darn good. That's right for a combo. Uh, yeah, those are also some things that we definitely see take over these numbers yeah in in you know some of this stuff is a little bit predictable to a degree You're like well eventually you assume something is going to one day make swarm yard important right like <laughs> or looking at a card like um or illuminator you're like well maybe something will one day appear that will make clues interesting and that's going to make that card shoot up in value or shoot up in 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 how often it appears in a deck Chain of Smog, whoever would have like predicted that was suddenly going to turn into a thing. It's just <laughs> this one weird commander that interacted with it in a specific way showed up and suddenly it's a absolute beast of, of a combo engine and, you know, shows up in 3000% more decks. Yes. Now here, in my opinion, Dana, the thing that you were looking for about cards that people realize their general utility, I think this next example is actually probably the purest. The best one. Uh, example yeah. of that. Yeah. Like we could try to point to reasons, but I, I think that it really is most just like a, a quality of life improvement kind of thing for the card is Zuri's Predation. Azuri's Predation is the amazing eight mana green sorcery for each creature your opponent's control create a 4-4 green Phyrexian beast creature token. Each of those tokens fights a different one of those creatures. So basically a board wipe, a mass token creation spell. This card is ludicrous and it currently shows up in 23,000 decks, but it used to only show up in about, oh, about 2,000. In the between the years 2018 and 2020, this card only showed up in about 2,000 decks. And now, between the years of 2020 and 2022, it's showing up in 23,000. Dana, what do you got? Like, well, what what do you think? <laughs> well, this this is just one of those cards too that were like for years and years. Whenever I would play games with 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 people, like whenever someone would cast this, the response from the table was always either "Wait, that card does what?" or <laughs> from, from people who knew what it did already saying, "Yeah, I can't believe no one was running is running this card. It is so insanely powerful." Yes, but it, for whatever weird reason, it was just one of those cards that just didn't maybe the eight mana cost put people off mm. but it's a it's kind of a board wipe very very often that's also going to set you up to kill people next turn 
Yeah. That's crazy powerful. It's so good. It's like wild. You pair it with some token doublers and you're like, whoa. And so that does make me, like initially when we were looking at this, it is definitely worth noting that this card is very, very popular in Adrix and Nev Twin Casters, which is a popular commander there that's got nearly 4,800 decks to its name. Yeah. So the fact that this shows up in 69% of Adrix and Nev Twin Casters decks would almost lead you to be like, oh, okay, that, you know, the Quandrix deck is probably why this card saw a huge increase in popularity. Um, except that the math ain't math in there like 69 percent of 4800 decks does not account for the 23,000 decks that azuri's predation is currently showing up in right so it's more than just that like there is also essex fractal bloom which is another very great addition for it the new jasmine boreal of the seven cares about vanilla creatures with no abilities and these tokens don't have any abilities so there's been a lot of little things here and there that seem to have finally like helped this card move up but I really do think that this is probably one of the cases where it's just like, yeah, people finally realize that this card, it's aces. This card's so great. It's aces and it interacts with all the things that green does, making tokens and the ability to copy tokens. So there's a lot of synergy there. It's also a thing that green doesn't have access to. Green doesn't have access to board wipes, really. Yeah. So people would traditionally like maybe run always dust or an Avengers disc or something, colorless solutions that let them actually have a board wipe. But this is one that more or less is a board wipe in green. Mm. So yeah, it just it just makes the the fact that it synergizes so well with the colors and does a thing that nothing else really does in green makes it very strange that it, it took this long to catch on, but that is just a thing that happens sometimes. It is just a thing that happens sometimes. So another kind of loose category here we'll talk about is I guess vehicle stuff, maybe what we'll cause it. Um <laughs> Peace Walker Colossus is the main one that jumps out here. Um, it's a three-mana 6-6 six, six vehicle from way back in Aether Revolt. Um, but what's important about it, it has a activated ability for one and a white. Another target vehicle you control becomes an artifact creature till end of turn. So it can kind of, for two mana, you can basically crew a vehicle more or less. Um, what's what What surged that forward, I would guess, because that was in about a thousand decks and all of a sudden here in the last two years now, we're looking at over 11,000. So almost a thousand percent increase in Peace Walker <laughs> Colossus usage. Well done. And the, the big thing there is with Kamigawa Neon Dynasty, we got multiple commanders that actually care about vehicles in the color white. So that was something we, we would see in, in the past when we've seen people kind of come up with their own homebrew vehicle commanders. One that you sometimes saw was like King Makar, you because you could tap him to crew a vehicle and make a gold token at the same time. Mm. People were very, very much coming up with the vehicle commanders, but they weren't commanders that specifically cared about vehicles for the most part. We got several of them, and they were very, very good in Neon Dynasty. So suddenly people started building vehicle commanders, and Peace Walker Colossus is an excellent addition to any of those those Shorakai-style vehicle commander decks. Well, and like we also, when, when Peace Walker Colossus came out, we had Depala Pilot Exemplar, which was a great spot for either a dwarf-themed deck or a vehicle-themed deck or things like that, except that there weren't a lot of either of those things yet. Like, Magic had not, you know, visited uh, dwarves as a creature type for ages, and vehicles were new, and there weren't a whole lot of them either. So not only did Neon Dynasty come around with Shorakai and Katori and Greasefang, etc., but it also, like, now we have even more vehicles. Like, the, the Necron deck, was it, I think, has a bunch of other yeah. amazing vehicles in that deck, too. So, like, this one feels to me just like a density issue. And this is the vehicle that we see really popped up a whole bunch because the, the strategy itself finally 
has legs, I guess, or has wheels, or I'm not sure what the, the proper <laughs> way to say it would be. But like, this is one that is a, a linchpin for that type of strategy. And it's finally like, there's now actually a, enough density for this to be a proper strategy, not just in the commanders that can do it, but also in the card type itself that the commanders would care about. Yeah, vehicles kind of did the same thing that equipment did after they were first released, where yeah. it was just something that began to show up in every set. And over the course of a couple of years, we just kind of at the same time hit a huge density of really good vehicles and hit this window where we had a bunch of uh, really good vehicle commanders at the same time. So just the, a confluence of perfect events to really jack up the the usage of a card like Peace Walker Colossus. Yeah, very much. Which also, by the way, Peace Walker Colossus. I mean, it leaves people in pieces, I guess, but I don't know, like, peace, I don't know, I just feel like that thing does a lot it's, of damage in a vehicle deck, you know? I, I believe the actual flavor text is, its sole purpose is fear. <laughs> so, so there we go, you're uh, right in the money there, Joey. Oh, uh, yeah, oh, man, the, 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 the world of Kaladesh looks like such a fun place, isn't, <laughs> isn't actually. It's not. <laughs> Basically, every every plane that a magic set takes place on, I would die about eight seconds into a plane. <laughs> I know, right? All right, let's finish up with one last example. And again, this might feel like more of a, a general goodness, um, like a, the card's finally been recognized for how good it is rather than a specific commander knocking up its uh, popularity. And this is a card that, Dana, I know both you and I are very fond of. It's the card Duelist's Heritage, the three mana enchantment. Whenever one or more creatures attack, you may have target attacking creature gain double strike until end of turn. So previously you know this card it, it i think it was printed in like 2016 or something and in the time between 2018 and 2020 it showed up in a modest 3300 decks and in the time between 2020 and now it's now showing up in nearly 26,000 decks for an increase of 677 percent well done on you duelist heritage um I, I i know that this card definitely appeared in the brina pre-con but like there are only 3,100 Brina decks, so that's not the only thing that would have budged up this number by any means. I have to assume that, again, this is just the card finally getting its due. People realize, oh, wait, Double Strike not just on my stuff every turn, but also the politics? This card's phenomenal. Well, th this card flew under the radar so much that that when it got a reprint, I believe in Commander 2021, when when Sheldon Menery himself did like a a little bit of a set review, he pointed out as one of his favorite favorite new cards from the set, um, <laughs> not realizing that it was a reprint. Oh no! So like, yeah, so so it and then like you know he, he very quickly caught it, but it was in an article where he, he was talking about how he hadn't even known it was a reprint right away. He had thought it was a brand new card and was floored by how good it was. So even people like Sheldon had missed it the first time around for whatever reason. This card just flew under the radar when it first appeared back in matter 2016 um and it's always been fantastic the, particularly the ability to <laughs> mess with other people's combat steps oh yeah well I mean, there are so many commanders that have like i mentioned kadira color of the small earlier that's an attack on damage trigger so if it has double strike you'll get twice as many bunnies like fantastic or uh this card i know is going to do work in a meadow my the ageless deck because if meadow hits an opponent you get an extra turn well now it's got double strike so you got two of those extra turns like that'll be fun but i also can't help but wonder if this card has in some ways also increased a bit in popularity because the format got a little bit more goad e might be the best way to say it sure um like combat became a lot more relevant as cards that goad creatures forcing them to attack were printed but i think also maybe just the format became 
more more punchy generally as well. Like I don't think it's only Goad that affected this, but I think it didn't hurt either. And like yes. we've we've gotten some very compelling combative stuff going on in a way that maybe in the olden years a commander felt a lot more defense first as opposed to prime uh, prioritizing offense. And maybe I'm off my rocker there. I'm not sure. Dana, you would know a whole lot more about the old EDH <laughs> format than, than than I would. I, I thought you were going to say you know more about me being off my rocker. I'd be like, yeah, I don't <laughs> agree there. Um, no, I I do think I think that's part of it. I also think the commander has gotten much more focused on uh, cards that provide as much utility as possible mm. and this is a situation where like compared to something like fire shrieker as an equipment or, or battle mastery as an aura that just go on your creature and you know in the case of battle mastery risk getting you two for one or in the case of fire shrieker you have to then re-equip it if you lose the creature mm. duelist heritage number one is a little safer because it sits off to the side and, and you're not risking a two for one as easily and then it also provides that added utility of being able to be used, like I said, on your, on your opponent's steps. So I think that's also part of it. People have begun to look more and more into um, running cards that do as much as possible. That's, that's, that's efficiency in its own way, I guess, to have cards that will also be impactful on other players' turns. And that's definitely what I think Duelist Heritage does. Yeah, very, very much. I'm, I'm glad. Duelist Heritage. I'm glad for you because, yeah. yeah, I, I just, I just, I've like been cheering it. for you, buddy, for a yeah. lot of years. And finally, had your chance and <laughs> chance to shine. I'm proud. Yeah, that's how I feel about a whole bunch of these. Like, you know, you, you go fervent charge. Congratulations, right. you found the right <laughs> home. But then also seeing some of the more general ones. It's just like Azuri's predation. Ah, oh, man, yes, I've been like, I've been tooting that horn for a while, and I'm glad that it's like. Well, maybe I'm not glad because it usually gets played by Matt and he kills all of my creatures. So maybe maybe <laughs> right. th- maybe this is bad, actually. Never mind. All of this is bad. <laughs> it's a mixture of happiness and sadness. Very bittersweet. Yeah. Oh, uh, you played Azuri's Predation and I lost. Well, wait. Ah, uh, yeah. Not quite as happy as I thought it would be. You, you go from, I can't believe people aren't playing this card to, I can't believe people use this card against me. <laughs> yes, exactly. Oh, yeah. All right. This was a whole bunch of fun. I, I'm glad that we could finally put some numbers to some of the, the feelings of these because these are these are some absolute gems that were just hidden in the rough for a while, but they are they are workhorses. They put in a whole bunch of work for your EDH decks. So listeners, we would also love to hear from you about any cards that you think were probably underrated years upon years ago, especially any older cards. And now they seem to be getting their due. They are uh, a lot more popular these days. And specifically what you think might have driven that upswing in popularity it would be really interesting to to get a sense of what the community thinks about these these different numbers that we've we've managed to finally dredge out from the past it's uh, been a really fun journey to look through them but i think that's going to have to call it to a close this has been a whole lot of information and we've got some edh to play so dana how about we wrap it up where can folks find you online you can find me on the Twitter birds at Dana Roach, and you can hear me on my other podcast, CMDR Central. I'm writing articles for EDH Rec and Commander's Herald, and you can find all of us together at patreon.com slash EDHRecCast, as well as on twitch.tv slash EDHRecCast on Wednesday nights. And I'm Joey Schultz. You can find me at Joseph M. Schultz on Twitter for as long as it exists. And you can find the cast at EDHRecCast on Facebook and on Twitter. Plus, if you've got a question for us, you can contact us at EDHRecCast at gmail.com. Our thanks go out once again to Chase for assisting me with the post-production of the show. You can find them online at Mana Curves. Listeners, we will be back at you next week with more data and insights. But until then, remember, EDH wreck your deck before you wreck your deck. <laughs>